and the truth will set you free. And so we struggle to know the truth, we struggle, we struggle to see the truth, and we struggle to obey the truth. We either choose to reject it, the truth and not see, or we choose to accept the truth and truly see. And so your action step today is stick to what is true. Stick to what is true. You guys know that there are some things that they work, products or whatever, and it's like you're not switching because you know it works. And uh, we need to stick to what is true. And we can see this in the struggle with Jesus and the man born blind. And we're going to be... Um, um, we're going to be in John chapter 9. We're going to specifically look at verses 15 through 39. But I was just intrigued in my reading by this. And I'm going to kind of go over some, I'm not going to do the whole chapter or read it to you. But I'm going to kind of go over some background. And you can go back and look at it on what was happening. First of all, imagine what it would be like to be born blind. To be born blind. Okay? So some people you've had relatives or or your sight. Um, I was excited to hear my mom's had struggles with her sight, and we thought it was getting worse, but because uh, I mean, she has a condition, but then we realized, uh, she realized with her doctor that the reason her sight was getting worse is because she has cataracts, and she can get those removed, and she's retaining the sight that she had, and that was really exciting. And it's one thing to be losing your sight, which is horrible, but imagine being born without sight. You don't know what the color blue looks like or the color purple or yellow or any of those things. You don't look, you don't have a basis to know the ocean and the waves that you're hearing, what that's about, or you know, the trees and all that kind of stuff. It's a little bit different. No basis for what uh, things you hear or they look like. No, no, you don't understand the brilliance of color or the sun. You know the heat on your face, but you don't know any of that. No knowledge of the truth in those areas. And this is our condition spiritually. What do you mean, Pastor? Before Christ, you were spiritually blind. And just like somebody helping someone that's blind go along, this is the part of the Christian that we're called to lead people towards the light. And so we are spiritually blind without Christ. This is why we call lost. And you once were those that know Christ now. And that's what we need to remember. We're born spiritually blind. We're living in the darkness of sin. We're lost, and we don't know any different. Started out all good in the garden, and then they, Adam and Eve made the wrong choice, and now everyone here has been born into sin, and we're spiritually blind. And we wouldn't know what we were missing if it were not for the light, the truth, Christ, entering the darkness, giving his life for you and I, and raising from the dead. So if we choose, we can have sight. So this brings us to this physical encounter that we see in John chapter 9 of a man born blind, and we're going to see the spiritual condition, but it's going to be a metaphor for, I mean, it's a, we're going to see the physical condition, but it's going to be a metaphor for all of our spiritual condition without Christ. Verse 1, you see the setting. Christ is continuing to teach the truth. He's continually having opposition of the truth between, uh, and he is between festivals going on, the Jewish festivals at the time. And so he was somewhere around Jerusalem and he was teaching. And then verses, um, recapping verses 2 through 4, um, the blind, the lame, they all had, this was their handicapped parking. Okay, this was their street corner where uh, this was their uh, traffic stop. 
th th these areas like my one job, I'm handicapped, I'm blind, I'm impaired, I've got to go here, and I've got to see if I can get some substance. And so this was the area where those that were impaired, but for some reason, this blind guy stood out from all the others. The disciples saw him, and they questioned this. What sin has he committed in order to be blind, to be born blind? Or what sin had his parents committed for him to be born blind? You say, that, that's outlandish, but a lot of times we get things confused, and there are certain things that we say, well, they deserve it. I want to get really clear. There is a clear sowing and reaping principle when it comes to when we sin. And when we sin, there are going to be repercussions. And sometimes people don't face those. They may be physical, emotional, or whatever. But that is different than what he is dealing with. He was born blind in a broken world. The, the proverb says the same rain falls on the just and unjust. Our world is broken. This is why we experience the things we like. This is why we have disease and plague and all these things. And innocent people can suffer. And so they had been raised, the disciples are saying, what sin did his parents commit that he was born blind? Christ answered, God didn't cause this, it's a fallen world. And then that God knows and he sees and he has a purpose, and you see in verses 5 through 7, Christ corrects their, tr their, their truth. See, that's the problem. we got everybody speaking their truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, you need to remember, memorize this verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. If there's any verse you need to memorize, it's that one. Because that busts everything. It silences everything. Because that is out of Jesus' mouth that he's saying there's no other way but through me. There's no other truth but through me. I don't care about your truth. Pastor, you're horrible. I don't care about my truth. I care about the truth, Jesus Christ. And you should too. And so, verses 5 through 7, Christ corrects their truth and declares that he is the truth, the light of the world, and he performs a miracle. Don't ask me why. I mean, you know, he spits, you know, and, and makes a mud pie, puts it on there, and tells them to go war wash at the pool of Siloam, uh, which means scent. And I really think it was, we don't know why he did this, because he could have done nothing and healed it. All right? But I think part of the reason that he told him to go is to see if the man would have faith in Christ and his ability to do that. Obedience. And so he sends him. And then verses 8 through 12, again, go back and read this this week. Imagine everybody knows this man. He's probably about 30 years old, okay? And I may be getting my accounts mixed up from other times where Jesus healed, but I'm pretty sure this one, he asked, do you want to be healed? The guy has been blind his whole life in his 30s. But there's so many times, and especially in our society now, we live in our victimization. This has happened to me. That's horrible. Everybody's had things happen. I'm not making light of that. But the devil wants you to live there instead of conquer that through Jesus Christ and through his healing. And so it's amazing that Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Some people get comfortable in their stuff. And it's going to be uncomfortable because now he's going to see 
And now his world's going to change. And so many times we get used to living in this drudgery of, of life and sin without Christ. Do we really want to be healed? Imagine, everybody knew this, this man his whole life, and now he, he can see. And it's getting out there. And so everybody's debating about it. And they're, 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 it's an inquisition. And they're asking how, and who did it, and why did it happen? And this is the purpose of the gospel, guys. That we intersect people in life and they ask these questions. I didn't mean for this to happen, but the other day I was visiting with the I'm a police chaplain, and I try to go visit the cadets, and they were going through a certain subject in their training, and I'm just trying to be Mr. Cool and quiet and, and, and just get to know them, and they're asking me all these deep questions, and I'm having to answer them theologically. And those are those intersections in life that, notice, I didn't say I'm going to go in there and tell them how the cow eats the cabbage. I went in there just to love and to get to know there's windows and doors that God is opening up for each of you, and you need to go through them. He will give you the words to say. And don't hesitate with the truth. Speak it in love, and let it be there. This is the miracle. And so this miracle, uh, the, the, the Pharisees were start. the religious teachers of that day were starting to, to question this because it was upsetting them. That here you have a no man that has been blind his whole life, and now he can see. So he's not been faking for 30 years. He wasn't making much doing that, not like today, okay? But, I mean, he would be working if he could. So he couldn't deny this, so now it was creating an uproar. And it seems like wherever Jesus goes, he does that. That's great, because we need to kind of be unsettled. Then we see th verses 13 through 17, uh, and we'll go back here in a moment. Pharisees tried to spin the facts of their truth, but it didn't work. See, you know, society will try to explain away the things of God or give an excuse or say this. And it amazes me if you keep adding thousands of years on this stuff, something can happen. You know, I'm talking about evolution or whatever. Why can't we believe we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead? Why can't we believe he created the world in seven days? Amen. And you chip away at that foundation, then what else are you chipping away from? It's either all true or it's not. There's nothing, there's nothing simple about that. It, it, it's faith. But so many times we try to lessen these things. Lessen these truths. And when we do, we chip away at the foundation. So now that brings us here to, to verse 15 of chapter 9. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes and I, and, and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among, among them. So you see in 15 is the second time they're questioning him. And notice what he does. He gives them a literal response. And then they make a statement and question him more. And your first fill-in, it's going to spell out the word true. Um, sticking to what is true means you stick with the facts. Those that are old enough dragnet, just the facts, man. But we're in a society today, it's hard to find the facts. And we're in a society today, everybody is twisting the facts, or adding to the facts, or taking away from the facts. Go with the blind man's example. He spit my eyes, put mud on them, I went and washed them, and now I see. We don't need to flower it up. But if we're going to stick to what is true, we stick to the facts. 
And this is why when we're doing Bible study, we look at we, we use the four concepts when we're studying the Bible. What does it say? What does it mean? How would I say that? And what do I need to do? If you're studying the Bible, those four questions are really good for you. What does it say? What are the what does it say? Literally. What does it mean? Studying deeper. And then how would I say that? Doesn't mean you change it, but in our society today, we terms are, are different. We need to understand how we can communicate this truth to our society. And then the last one, what do I need to do with it? How do I need to obey it? Just the fact that that didn't satisfy them. And they they uh, they continued to question him. So look at verse 17. So they said again to the blind man, what, uh, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So again, he's a prophet, one who speaks God's truth. And so your next feeling, sticking to what is true, means you respond directly and briefly. I didn't say you can respond directly and briefly and not be mean. Proverbs says a gentle answer turns away wrath. And you know, anytime I'm in a difficult situation, and, and the Holy Spirit will help me too if I don't have time to prepare, but I'm not trying to be obstinate or difficult, but I have to get it down to one sentence and stick to that because of the fact the devil so many times tries to get us off in so many ways in these little arguments. And so this is better. Notice what he did. You need to respond directly. Oh, we dance around it. Let's go to the, the issue of death. I'm not trying to be mean, but we need to stop using euphemisms. They passed away. They moved on. They're gone. No offense. We need to use literal words with anybody. They die. Okay, so that's one example. But how many times in Christianity are we not being, not responding directly and we're not being brief on that? And again, that doesn't mean you're not going to have a conversation. But so many times we dance around it, they get lost. Because we don't want to answer it. And so uh, they chose again not to see, even uh, even uh, they even uh, to even believe that he was really blind. They asked his parents, you know, hey, was he blind? And they knew it. My goodness, he'd been blind his whole life. They chose uh, to stick. Uh, they chose to uh, skirt the truth, the parents, and put it on him because they didn't want to be kicked out. He's an adult, so you can ask him. He's of age. My goodness, he's their kid. And so many times, this is what we do. As we set bad examples as parents and, and grandparents and adults because we skirt around the truth. Did not say be mean. I have quoted 1 Peter 3.15 forever. With gentleness and peace, give a reason for the hope that you have. If you're ever mean about what you're doing, now some people say, well, what you said was mean. Probably because you were direct probably because you were brief, probably because you spoke the truth, and they didn't like it. They continued to try to build a case against the truth, and guess what? They continued to fail. Look at verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give uh, glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. That's the scripture, that verse 25 is the one that's like, let's do a sermon on this. Because so many times, what all do you know? And as we go through the chosen 
series, and I was jealous of somebody that got one of the t-shirts, and, but it said, all I know is I was this way, and I met him, and now I'm another way. We try to doll it up so much, and look at what he's doing. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. The gospel is really simple. 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered it. And remember, he's already told him this stuff. Okay? He answered, I have told you already, and you have not listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reveled him, saying, you, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. And we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. You know, we're going to be at convention this week. Thank you for sending us. And there's going to, we need to pray for, you know, our denomination to make good choices. But I'm sure part of that convention is going to be arguments that I'm just going to say are stupid and we shouldn't be arguing. <laughs> but theologians and leaders have been doing that. They were doing it here. Mm -hmm. And throughout the centuries, how many angels can fit on a head of a pen? Who cares? <laughs> I go back to the fact of who is Jesus? If Jesus is not fully God and fully man, it's a cult. If Jesus is not the only way to salvation, it's a cult. And those are things we're not going to budge on. But what we, what we see here, notice what he did in 27. See, this is why I've had to get things. And you say, well, now I know pastor's going to just keep doing that one sentence. No, I can talk, but here's the deal. There are so many people that want you to justify what they're doing, and they keep chipping away, and you have... Notice what he's doing there. You're not going to listen, so I'm not going to argue with you about it. The church we had been in before had been decimated, and we began to reestablish God's word, and I started with, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to beat you up. We're going to go to God's word, and whatever it says, we're going to obey it, and then we're going to be silent. So many times. Now, see, there's a difference. There are those that want a continual conversation, and you do that. And it may not be at the, all at once, but you see what they're doing here? They're trying to chip away. They're trying to get them to change. They're trying to catch them. You need to trust God. You need to realize, and this is the destiny. I'll be preaching on that sometime. When Christ sent out the 70, he said, find the person of peace. So many times we're like, i got to find the worst, meanest-looking person and go to them and tell them about Jesus. If he leads you to do that, great. But it's probably the person that smiled at you, that's sitting next to you, and you're trying to mind your own business, and they start talking to you. Not that that ever happens to me, but it's all the time. Okay? But the Bible's clear. You find the person of peace, you enter the conversation, you go as far as they, they want to, and you stop there. And if they don't want it, you dust your feet and you go on. That's what he's doing here. He's already answered them. I thought it was funny. You want to be his disciple? You know? And so we, we see that. He continued to question him, debate him, trying to trap and twist him. And, they didn't re, and, and he didn't re-engage this useless argument. Sticking to what's true means arguing is, here's your next one, it's useless to argue. It really is. I, I, I don't see, I don't see very places in the Bible if we're really getting true on arguing that you see arguing between God's people. 
Now, I was reading today, Paul and Barnabas separate, and that's kind of interesting because, man, Paul, Paul to me, I think, is great, but he'd be a hard person to be around because he's going to be this person that's going to be brief, he's going to be direct, and he's going to tell you, I mean, when, in Galatia, when, they, when, when Peter was, Peter had the vision of going to the Gentiles, and they're in Galatia, and they're eating with Gentiles, probably eating ham sandwiches, they're former Jews, they're enjoying a barbecue, and then the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem come down, and Peter moves from the barbecue table to the whatever table, okay? And that was normal. And Paul got onto Barnabas and Peter for that. That's kind of hard, guys. We see Barnabas and Paul arguing. Barnabas is a son of encouragement. But notice this. They separate ways. And then it said the church grew. And we need to understand that, that these, it's useless to argue. And especially if someone doesn't know Christ, they're lost, they're blind. And they may need to let that germinate. Or your job is just to deliver it. You don't make anybody do anything. James 1.19 says, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to hear. So many times, I don't like what you're saying. It makes me uncomfortable because that's not church talk. And what you believe is crazy. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I remember the first time in a church, it was, it was dicey. We were just there a few months, and I thought, what in the world's going on here? You know, And I got an email, protect you and your family. Okay, and what? And, and Heather shopped online for bulletproof vests. Okay, and you think you teased? We weren't. And I was talking to the individual. It was really a miracle and a God thing. It was just a great story on the other side of it. But at that time, it's like wow. And when they called me up on the phone and they said, "You're not saying much," and I said, "Well, I've had to learn James one nineteen. Quick to hear. Quick to hear. Two ears, one mouth. Slow to speak. And slow to anger." I like how Chuck Swindoll says when he's talking about Pharisees or people of legalistic, and we'll get into legalism one day, but those people, it's just this way. There's no grace or all this kind of stuff. He says you don't argue with a three-year-old that the sky is, blue, is green. You just laugh and let it be. So many times, i got to be right or you've got to know. Really? Did you speak the truth? Did you speak it in love? Leave it. They didn't care who Christ was. Just... Uh, uh, just knew the truth uh, that he, did, uh, he didn't care, talking about the blind man, who Christ was. He just knew the truth. He was blind, and now he saw. And this was pushing him closer to belief. You know, so, uh, uh, Romans 2, 4 says, it's your kindness that leads to repentance. And so he had physically been healed. Didn't mean he had believed in Christ as Savior, but these are the facts. And so now let's look at verses 30 through 34, the blind response. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. And we know that God does not listen to the sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. I love that. And never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And if this man were not of God, he could, not, uh, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. I'm going to go with God. I, the church is biblical. Religion is not. Go to the Bible. A relationship with Jesus Christ. The church, I'm thankful that we're back here, but it's not the sanctuary, it's not the gym, it's not the building, it's you. The believers of Christ. 
and, they, and, and is founded in that. And what we see here is the blind man is heading towards the true church, and the religion is casting him out. To cast the truth out of their lives. The scene response, look at that. He resolved to stick to the truth regardless. And your next villain, to stick to the truth regardless, the opposition means to endeavor to be steadfast. Endeavor to be steadfast. See, whoever said that your life is going to get easier when you become a Christian, mm, that's not true. If you're following God, it doesn't mean you're promised that you're going to have good health because we live in a fallen world. It doesn't mean that if you stand for the truth in your actions and your words that you won't be persecuted. And I feel right now that the American church is heading and in the middle of persecution, and they've not been persecuted like our brothers and sisters around the world. And our persecution is, oh, you're this, or you, you're, you're, you're dumb, or, or you're racist, or any of these things. And a true follower of Christ are, are none of those things. But that's just the beginning of persecution, and we need to endeavor to be steadfast, because he got kicked out. He got churched. And resolved to hold to the truth and not fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. But the, miracle, but the miracle didn't end with his physical sight. It continued with the healing of his spiritual sight. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now think about this. The only thing he knew about Jesus was his voice. Never seen a man. He may have. But you got this guy coming up to you, and he's saying, do you believe? And the Son of Man answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. He's moving from general revelation that there is a God who helped heal me physically to this is the God, Jesus Christ. And he found him and he, and he asked the question, do you believe? And I asked that question in our, in our invitation today. And these times, do you believe that Jesus was the Christ, that he was fully God, that he was fully man? Do you believe that you're a sinner and destined to hell, separation and torment from God? You need to believe in him and accept him and call him to save you and follow him as Lord. I want to have a time of invitation for that in a moment, but notice this. If you don't, eternal separation from God, in hell, torment, flame, fire, all those things continually. It's the truth. It's not a fictitious thing. This is what Jesus said, and it was designed for Satan and his demons, but your free will, if you choose, that's where you're going. We're going to have a time of invitation today, and you can hold to your truth. It's not my truth. I have spoken God's truth, and you have to choose whether you're going to believe it or not, but most of you have done that. But I go back to at the wedding when my mom, I'm leaning her around, and you know, I'm worried you know, she's getting more and more blind. I was making fun of my dad, and then I had to go back. My dad's at the wedding with his iPad, walking around doing this kind of thing. And I kept teasing him. I wish they would put cameras on phones so you didn't have to do that. And then I found out later he was taking pictures so my mom could see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Okay, all right. So, so 
But then when I talked to her the other day, and she said, hey, these are just cataracts. It's like awesome. You get those off and you'll be able to see. If, if, if we are without Christ, we need him to take those spiritual cataracts off so that we can see him clearly. And John 8, 32, know the truth and the truth will set you free. So today, during this season, how's your sight? If you don't know Christ, you need to know the truth and you need to hold to the truth that I am convinced there's a lot of Christians that are like, you're feeling so much pressure. I mean, I'm going to be serious. When I went and visited the, 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 the cadets the other day, it's like I was saying to myself, I really don't want to talk about this. I really don't want to tell you the truth because you're probably going to get upset. But you know what happened? I did, and I did it in a calm and loving way. I didn't make them do anything, and I think it was well-received. They kept asking me really hard things, okay? But you know what? I know this, that I've spoken the truth. I'm going to be really clear right now, Christians. You need to get into this word, and you need to decide whether you're going to believe it or not. And if you're not going to believe it, it's not about leaving this church, but why are you here? Seriously. Because of the fact either this word is totally true or it's not. And I don't have the wisdom to say this is true and this is not true. And this is what the majority of Christians are doing right now. They're watering down the truth. I've used this example before. I'll use it again because it's kind of scary and I know God protected me. Okay. But imagine we made some brownies and I put, went out in the yard and put just a little piece of what my dog or chickens leave out there. Just put a little tiny piece in the brownie mix, whip it up, bake it, and say, hey, Larry, do you want some brownies? No, no, not Larry. Anybody. Would you eat it? I wouldn't. Somebody tried that for me in the church. Somebody that was upset. And for some reason, guys, if you bring me pastry or, or something sweet, I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to question it. For some reason, I did. So I guess God protected me. Every time you decide to water down the truth or say, I've got to back off from that, or can I totally believe that, that's what you're doing. And they're not seeing Jesus. <clears throat> this altar is open for a time of recommitment or where you're at. You need to commit that God said it, that settles it. I may not understand all of it, but I'm going to hold to him, and I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to have faith in what I don't understand. I'm going to continue to study for what I can. But notice this, John 8, 32, that you, that you are not going to live in freedom, and nobody else is going to live in freedom unless you know the truth and hold to the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Stick to what is true. I don't care about your truth. I don't care about my truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but me. Commit to God's truth. As we stand on our feet and have a time of invitation. Whose truth are you sticking to today?